going to go back to throw the ball. Sets up, looks, throws toward the corner of the end zone. And he's Welcome to another edition of the Duck Pod. I'm Ryan Thorburn, joined by Austin Meek. We are back on the digital airwaves. That means it's college football season, and we have a special guest today, Paul Meyerberg from USA Today, national college football writer. Paul, thanks for uh, making time for us. How was your off season? Oh, it was good, uh, but I'm confused because I thought this was a track podcast. Are we not? Are we not talking track here? On, well, as I'm if you want to talk Devin Allen, I'm sure people might be interested in that. But uh, there is a season actually looming. Uh, I was just asking Willie Taggart, does December 7th seem like a long time ago, or or did time fly by? It certainly crawled for us. Um, I know you were at the Pac-12 Media Days um, in Los Angeles, and uh, Sam Darnold is kind of one of the, the guys featured in the USA Today uh, preseason All-American team. I guess just what are your thoughts uh, on the Pac-12 from, your, from where you sit? I guess my thought is if we go back like five years ago, right, the Pac-12 was Oregon, a little bit of Stanford, and not too much else from my perspective. I think we gave USC that annual benefit of the doubt, but they never kind of met those expectations. UCLA is annually a disappointment. Utah is okay. Colorado was a disaster, blah, blah, blah. So if you go down and you're looking at 2017, I think, like, realistically, without any exaggeration or blowing smoke, there are three teams in this conference, like at least three, that you can say legitimately and realistically can play for a national title. And not, like, play as in beat a team like Alabama, but play their way into a national title kind of situation in the playoffs. And that's SC, Stanford, and Washington. So I don't know. I mean, I I like to think that I can go back in my mental Rolodex and think of a year when the Pac-12 could say this, but I can't think off the top of my head the last time the Pac-12 could really say legitimately we have three teams that we think can get into a Final Four situation and play for a national title. So league's in good shape in my mind. I think there are flaws, obviously, and there are teams that are going to disappoint, but I think it's worthy of probably a little more national respect, honestly, the Pac-12. So I'm not sure how many other leagues – well. The, pack, the Big 12 doesn't, but like the other four Power 5 leagues outside the Big 12, they have legitimately three teams that can play for a title. So it's a good league, honestly. It's a good league that just needs to do something in January to change that national perception. I think that's a good place to start when we talk about what the expectations should be for Willie Taggart at Oregon, because it is a different league than when Chip Kelly really had it going at Oregon. The league as a whole has gotten better. For a new coach coming into the league now, it's going to be tougher to uh, to make inroads. So if, from your perspective, sort of the outside looking in at Oregon, where do you think the Ducks ought to fit in in the Pac-12? What's a reasonable expectation for what they ought to be in Willie Taggart's first season? I, I think reasonable is a bowl game. Like reasonable. If you get the six wins, that's reasonable. I mean, the road you get there obviously is going to matter, but I think a 6-6 six and six Oregon team, you look on this year as reasonably meeting expectations, reasonably setting up greater expectations, reasonably taking care of business. 
I think it could be an eight-win team. I, I can't really shake the idea that Nebraska is going to kind of dictate the flow of things. Um, if you beat Nebraska and you're Oregon, I don't think Wyoming is going to be an easy trip by any stretch of the imagination. I think the Wyoming is – I went. I visited Wyoming to do a Josh Allen piece in June, and they're like already – the whole town is talking about the Ducks coming there. So there's high – level of interest, obviously, in Wyoming being up for that game. I think they'll be ready for that one as much as the Iowa game they have two weeks earlier. Um, so for some reason, I can't shake that if they beat Nebraska, this thing could turn out to be an eight-win team um, and maybe get five wins in league play. Um, but, yeah, six wins. I don't think, or I don't really know, but I wouldn't suspect that the fan base would be, like, ecstatic at going six and six, six and seven, seven and six. But nonetheless, this is a team that was a, a trash fire last year. So getting to six wins, a two-win improvement on 2016, and setting up kind of a you know the continued great recruiting efforts that Taggart's doing, that'd be pretty fine. That'd be fine with me. But I guess you guys are about to tell me that people would not be happy with six. <laughs> well, you kind of touched on something I want to ask you about because you have been to Laramie this summer, and I think you've also been uh, to Lincoln to do a piece on their new quarterback. Um, I guess talk a little bit about Josh Allen and Craig Bull and how that. Um, is going there in Laramie. Um, they had a breakthrough year last year and actually won the Mountain Division of the Mountain West. And then also Nebraska, uh, Mike Riley's coming back to Oregon, and, and he seems to be excited about uh, the quarterback there. Um, kind of an interesting two-game stretch for the Ducks. Yeah, I'll start with Wyoming. I think just based on paper, this is like a 48-41 kind of game for the Ducks. Wyoming doesn't get credit for this because the kind of perception is that they're old fashioned and, and they don't, you know, they like to get you in a little bit of a, of a tight space and just, and just go to town and pummel you in the ribs. They do like to do that. But in beyond being physical, they, they will stretch Oregon secondary, which to me, looking at it on paper is a concern. They're going to stretch that secondary deep on every single opportunity because Josh Allen can throw a ball from Wyoming to, to, you know, from Laramie to Cheyenne. So that kind of arm, to me, is going to put a lot of strain and stress on Oregon's defense. Now, is Oregon going to be able to score points on Wyoming? Yeah, they're going to score points in bunches because they're going to push them around a bit up front, and Roy Streeman is the best player on the field in terms of, you know, getting the ball in his hands. So it's an interesting matchup um, at high altitude um, at a home game for Wyoming that's probably going to top any in recent history in terms of the kind of uh, – avidness of the fans, I think to put it lightly. So it's a stressful road trip, no doubt for Oregon. That probably looked like it was going to be a lot different when they scheduled it a couple of years ago, and now um, they're going to have their hands full, no doubt about it. Wyoming's a really good football team, borderline top 25 in my mind. So it's a telling trip for Oregon. Um, for Nebraska, the team that Ducks fans saw last year in Lincoln, it's not going to look the same at all. It's going to be a really different football team. they got Bob Diaco to run the defense, and he's a 3-4 guy. They'll build be really multiple and try to bring pressure with four guys at times. And offensively, they have a quarterback. And Tanner Lee's a first-round talent, without any doubt about it. So um, they're an improved team. But so is Oregon. And maybe home field does make the difference, though. As you said, Riley knows what to expect from Austin. Not to say that he's won there ever or has won there recently, but he knows what to expect from Austin. So it's not going to be a typical you know, road team coming from the East Coast or the Midwest going to Austin and being surprised by things. I think they'll be prepared. So um, it's going to be a hell of a game. And I do think Nebraska is the better team, but getting them at home, I picked Oregon to win the game when I kind of picked records going out, looking ahead to the season, but it's going to go either way. It could go either way, honestly. 
to go back to what you were saying earlier, I'm I'm really genuinely curious to see how Oregon fans would react if the team goes six and six or five and seven or seven and five. Because I, I agree with you, I think that's about where where the Ducks ought to be, and that's obviously not what Oregon fans have gotten used to. But after last season, it, it would be an improvement, and uh, it's sort of a cliche, but a lot does depend on how they get there. You know, are they competitive against? Teams like Washington and and Stanford, you know, teams that blew them out last year, that would that would go a long way toward earning Willie Taggart a little bit of goodwill. And I, I think the the recruiting class that they put together has uh, probably bought him some some time with the fan base. That if if they don't see it in year one, they're going to be willing to give him another couple years to to get it rolling. And that seems to be sort of the track record with with Willie. Both places he's been, he took over programs that were down. And he eventually got them up to being you know, good competitive programs, but it didn't happen overnight at, at South Florida. You know, it took him two years, and his his job was on the line going into that third year. And then they they won eight games and and got to ten in his fourth year. Um, what Paul? What was your uh, just gut level reaction when Oregon hired Willie Taggart? Were you surprised? Did you think it was a good hire? Did did you think that his um, his coaching style and what he did at South Florida would translate to Oregon? Yeah, to a degree. I mean, clearly he wasn't option number one, but that's fine. And we can trot out the Pete Carroll story about him being third at USC as the example, you know, the one in a million shot that things turn out when you're not the number one guy on a list. Um, he can recruit, you know, he could sell ice to an Eskimo, as Matt Leiner famously said about Pete Carroll. Um, so there's no question that the talent level is going to be raised. The thing with Taggart, and I had the same idea when I talked about P.J. Fleck at Minnesota. P.J. Fleck, like Taggart, was more than happy to start from scratch. At a place at Western Michigan, they really didn't need to start from scratch. I mean, they were like a five-win team when he took over, a team that had been around six to seven wins every single year going back, you know, you know, at least one full recruiting cycle. They didn't need to go one and 11, but he was happy to do it because he realized that for us to reach point B – isn't going to be a straight line. You know, we've got to kind of take a step back, rebuild this thing, install what I want to install, find the guys I want to find, blah, blah, blah. So for Taggart, it's an interesting idea to think about, like Fleck in Minnesota, how is he going to handle a place that doesn't really need to be torn down to the studs? You know, a place that's going to have some internal and external expectations going into year one. So I'm interested to see how he handles that personally, because, like you said, six and six would in a vacuum be a good season for Oregon. It'd be a step forward, but would it be good enough? And if it's not good enough, what kind of reaction would that get from the fan base? How would that impact recruiting? What would that do for expectations going into 2018, blah, 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 down the line? So those are total intangibles that will have no impact really on Saturdays. But it was an idea I had when he first took the job. What does Willie Tackert do when he doesn't need to tear things down? We doesn't need to reinstall everything when there doesn't really need to be that much to be done to kind of bring this thing back in the right direction. So philosophically, schematically, yeah, there's everything that he's going to do fits into the mold. And clearly he's made really good hires who have paid off on the recruiting trail and on the field. But, you know, for a guy that likes to rebuild and has made a name as a rebuilding guy, going back to being on the debut staff at Stanford, what does he do with a place that doesn't really need to be rebuilt? And will his style fall on deaf ears or will his style kind of butt up against expectations when Oregon realizes that just kind of treading water and not taking steps forward is, is really going backwards. So 
that makes no sense as I think about it, but that's my original thought on Taggart, is that this is new to him as just as it's new to Org. Well, one thing, selfishly, that it, I think we all appreciate about him is he is pretty media-friendly. Um, we've been yeah. privy to a little bit of practice. Not, we haven't seen much, but some. And, you know, he brought Justin Herbert to Pac-12 Media Days. I think if it was Mark Helfrich, it would have been the third straight year of Royce Freeman. Um, now, Justin isn't outspoken, obviously, but it was nice to see him there, especially when UCLA didn't bring Josh Rosen. Um, obviously, Sam Darnold got most of the attention, but what's kind of your view of Justin Herbert? He's a, a true sophomore. Uh, he has some Mariota-like qualities as far as his size and his demeanor and even the way he um, takes the snap and so forth. Do you know much about Justin? And, and that's a pretty good place to start for Willie. Yeah, it's a good it's a good starting point. My biggest take on Justin is having met him and seen him, he looks like the starting shooting guard for a high school basketball team. Um, <laughs> you know what I mean? Like he's like he's like the six foot five, fifteen year old who can dunk. Um, you know. But look, like from my perspective, for Justin Herbert, like just as a story, what a nice story, right? Like what a nice story that from Oregon's own backyard. This guy who, and you guys will correct me if I'm wrong, I, I think that he was kind of a late recruiting addition, right? Like they were kind of tossing around a few names at quarterback, and he was the guy they that Frost and those guys picked. Am I right about that? Like yeah, he wasn't, he, he didn't commit like as a sophomore? He broke his leg as a junior in high school, which sent a lot oh. of programs off the trail. And I don't know if Oregon just wanted to keep him a secret or not, but they kind of waited till other teams were back on the radar to, to offer him, I think. And and, but he's definitely um, under-recruited, I would say, for his skill set. Yeah, and, and look, he, A, he looks the part, like he said. Um, th- there's clear, like, intelligence that not everyone has. You can tell that from talking to him, like I did for three minutes, that he carries himself and has a thought process that kind of lends itself to being successful inside the helmet as a quarterback. And you can't overlook the numbers. I mean, I, I want to see him, you know, on a bright stage, I want to see him take really key snaps in a key moment in November. I mean, they won't really have that moment this year, but I want to see him go to Washington November 4th. You know, I want to see him in that situation because that's the next stage in his development. But if you're Taggart, you're Oregon, you went through two years of being unable to find your quarterback, obviously, and I think enough has been said about that where we don't need to cover that ground. But to have a homegrown guy in your own backyard who's a true sophomore, who has you know, I wouldn't say limit this potential, but clear all-conference potential. I mean, conceivably as early as next year. I think he'll get squeezed out this year, obviously. But as early as next year, could be an all-conference guy. I mean, what a building block. And what a piece for Taggart. And I'm not saying that is a reason that he would come to Oregon, obviously, because he came to Oregon because it's Oregon. But to walk in the front door and have a guy like Herbert ready to roll as a guy who clearly has an incredible work ethic and, and wants to improve, um, yeah, I mean, he's a nice story. And he's going to be a nice quarterback, even if this year – He's going to trail behind, let's see, Darnold, Rosen, Falk, and Browning. So he's the fifth QB in a, in a really good QB league. So a couple minutes ago you brought up P.J. Fleck, and I think that's one of the interesting names to watch from Oregon's perspective because when you hire a new coach, you obviously think about, so who else could we have hired? And P.J. Fleck was one of the people that – a lot of Oregon fans were really excited about, but Oregon apparently had very little interest in him. He went to Minnesota. 
Minnesota actually comes out here to play Oregon State uh, in a couple weeks, which I think will be a really interesting game because if Minnesota comes out here and <laughs> puts it to Oregon State, a lot of Oregon fans might be thinking, well, maybe we should have hired that guy. Uh, but as a segue to talk about the Beavers a little bit, you know, they've got uh, a challenging non-conference schedule. they got to open at Colorado State in a new stadium where, similar to Wyoming, I think the fans there will be excited to have uh, a Pac-12 team come into their place. Then they play Minnesota, as I mentioned. Um, third year for Gary Anderson. What are your thoughts uh, on, on the Beavers and what they ought to be? Do, do you see them being ready to take a, a big step in Gary Anderson's third year? Yeah, I don't think they're going to get to a bowl game. But having said that, I think they're good enough to. And I think they're very, very highly of Gary Anderson as a football coach. I think they really could get – you know, if they beat Minnesota, they beat Minnesota, I think they get three wins in conference play. Yeah, they could get to a bowl game. It could be six and six. And that would be a huge progress, in my mind, for Oregon State compared to, you know, where he was year one and certainly his kind of perception of where the program was heading into his first year. Um, when I go around – and, like, I remember talking to Boise State coaches right before Pac-12 Media Days, and they're playing – I think they play Oregon State this year. They play them um, – no, no, no. They played them – when was the last time Boise played Oregon? Oregon State. Do you guys remember? Was it last year? I think they, no, they played Washington State last year. Okay, so there was, there was somebody, and maybe I'm saying Boise, but it was someone at Mountain West. Talking, Gary Anderson came up because he was at Utah State. We were talking about playing a Gary Anderson coach team, and the coach said to me, Anytime you can beat a Gary Anderson coach team, you run to the bus and go home because you're just like, okay, it's, it's over. We won. Okay. Blah, blah, blah. Uh, you can't change that. It's over. We won. Okay. We're leaving because of the kind of the reputation he has among his peers, which is incredibly high. Even guys like Urban Meyer just like can't stop praising Gary Anderson. And I know they work together and they know each other, but um, the reputation he has as a program builder, program maintainer is second to none. Um, it probably, it's taken a little bit longer than maybe without knowing anything I thought it would take at Oregon State. But if you can't see the progress because you're stuck on wins and losses, then I would say look a little closer because I think Oregon State is clearly going places and making progress. They just happen to be in a division that has at least four bowl teams right now. I mean, California is going to be absolutely horrendous, but they got at least four bowl teams if you count Oregon in that division, let alone the conference. So it's tough sledding, but progress is progress. And I see it. I'm sure if you're in Eugene or you're in Portland or Corvallis, you've got to see it also. I'm guessing unless the Beavers or Ducks overachieve, we probably won't see you out in this neck of the woods during the season. Um, but looking just at your uh, itinerary, where are some places you think you'll end up this year and some national storylines that um, you're looking forward to covering? Um, I'm going to – I have mapped out first two weeks. I was telling Austin before we got started, I'm going to go to Bloomington for Ohio State, Indiana, week one, or on the Thursday of week one, a week from today, which is going to, or a week from when we're taping this on Thursday, which is going to be a blast. And then um, down to Austin for Texas hosting Maryland, and then USC Stanford week two. So I had that mapped out. So I'll see those guys. Um, I'd love to see Wisconsin because I think Wisconsin is my sleeper team to maybe be 11 and one going into the big 12 title, big 10 title game because they've got a cakewalk of the schedule. Um, I think on a national scale, I, you know, and I hate to do this because it is kind of an easy low hanging fruit. I can't help but shake the idea that we're just watching Ohio state and Alabama. And in specific, we're watching urban Meyer and Nick Saban because I, and I know Clemson won it last year and Clemson is going to be there again. I just think that those two programs are atop the heap. 
two coaches at the top of their games, you know, in their stride. So I, I do would like a chance to see those two teams. I got them one, two in my poll, um, kind of work their way through September, October, November, kind of like the, you know, the Lakers under Shaq and Kobe where they would just kind of, you know, sail or the Spurs with Duncan where they just kind of cruise and say, okay, let's just get done what we got to get done. And then we'll turn it on in January. So I see them on a collision course and, you know, so I got my eyes on that and that's, that's probably not too uh, exotic, but it's hard to say where I'm going to be because, you know, teams could be terrible. Oregon could be fantastic. I could be out at Oregon for Oregon, or I could be in Seattle for Oregon, Washington or something. I don't think it's going to happen, but you never know. Each season is very unpredictable. Did you guys know that about college football? That is very unpredictable. <laughs> That's the great insight that uh, our listeners glean from this podcast. Um, but seriously, Paul, we re- uh, really appreciate you uh, coming on, and, and you do have great insight on, on all the college football teams. We love your stuff. Um, and if you want to come back in the summer and talk track, we will uh, happily have you on the track edition as well. What, what about um, Winter Olympics? Because we've got South Korea coming up. Any interest in speed skating chatter? Anything about Sven Kramer, the great Dutch uh, speed skater? Can I interest you in that at all? No? I, Paying attention to one Olympics every four years is is all I can handle. Two is just I I don't have the the mental space up there to uh, to cram in a Winter Olympics as well as a summer. Yeah, every time that I have to learn about luge, like I forget <laughs> what Coward did bad in 1987. Like it just gets squeezed out, which is unfortunate because those baseball stats they need to I need those. So. Yeah, that's that's all my brain is is just one piece of useless sports trivia replacing another. <laughs> Yeah, it's like you like the Royal starting infield of 1983. Yeah, you're like, yeah, I got that. I mean, actually, do you think I could do that? You got George Brett, Frank White. Do you have uh, the rest? Aren't yeah, you, are you a Royals fan? I am. Yeah. Gosh, was Fred Patek playing shortstop then? You know, it's just a, a little bit before my time. Boy, I could give you some really bad Royals infields from like 2002, but dude, nobody would want to relive that. Nobody. No one wants. That's it's time to end this. Time. All let's right. not let's not get into into the bad stuff. Yeah, we're going down a bad road. Well, thanks again, Paul. We appreciate it. Hope to see you somewhere this season. For sure, guys. Thanks for having me.